0: Welcome back, everybody, to Ask an Addiction Specialist. I'm Bob Weathers. I'm here with Odie Martinez. Hello. Thanks for joining me, Odie. Thanks for having me. Uh, Glad to to be here today. And uh, Austin Armstrong and François are here as co-producers along with Odie. And they will field your questions, and Odie and I will do our best to answer your questions. So we uh, invite the interaction. So thank you for, for joining us. Our last presentation was two weeks ago, and the topic was using shame as a signal to the self. And we talked about that and left off with some homework with an image of Excalibur pulling a sword from a stone. And we're going to be talking about one of the ways that we might pull a sword from a stone today. We're going to be doing uh, an exercise. It's the centerpiece of today's presentation. And the focus of our conversation today will be on... In the context of addiction and recovery, how do we practice forgiveness and self-compassion? So that's where we're headed. Before we do that, let me give you a quick recap. I, I, uh, I was gone last week uh, from this location. I was in Salt Lake City for the better part of the week. I was invited by the American Pharmacists Association to come in and address addiction and recovery from a psychological perspective. So I was in a room of 400 uh, pharmacists and um, uh students of pharmacy from all around the country. Mm. I think virtually every state of the union was represented. And uh, I was up on stage before these 400 people for two separate workshops. The first workshop was addressing what we talk a lot about here in recent times, shame and stigma uh, and how those serve as barriers to sustained and successful recovery from addiction. That was the first workshop. And the second workshop was addressing uh, uh, the integration of family resources, family therapy specifically, and, uh, uh, and then the resources that come via addiction counseling. My work is as a recovery coach is pretty much focused on addiction counseling. My wife Colleen is a marriage and family therapist who works with the families, and so in a sense I was bringing together these two different disciplines, two different perspectives. Um, and uh, uh, I think both went swimmingly well. I'm really <laughs> grateful. I felt very accepted as the token psychology person <laughs> in this group of pharmacists. As I shared with them, I have a special fondness for pharmacists. My first part time job in high school was working at Mixtures Pharmacy in Visalia, California, Central California. And uh, I had uh, really enjoyed the work that I did there. It really. I learned lots of skills while I was doing that, particularly people skills, because I was involved in checking in all of the merchandise, but also in meeting people and um, learning how to interact with people Mm -hmm. uh, around selling shampoo. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was very grateful. As I was winding up my work there, one of the pharmacists, Bob Pullen, uh, um, invited me. He he said, Bob, if you want to go to pharmacy school... In fact, if you want to go to my pharmacy school, he said he went to USC, uh, we'll support you getting your education. Bob had a doctorate in pharmacy at uh, USC and invited, he said that they would help to support me get that. I uh, really appreciate it because I loved Bob. He was one of these kind of second father figures for me, (laughs) but I honestly had no interest in going to pharmacy school And, um, in fact, I was a pre-law major. This was Mm -hmm. starting in college, and so I was taking political science, economics, and so on. And thank goodness for me that I didn't go into law. That would have been, I think, an exceedingly poor fit for my personality. (laughs) I went into psychology instead and ended up getting my doctorate in clinical psychology. But I've never forgotten Bob Pullen's offer. And there I was in a room, every single person there. I didn't realize this. It's only been 45 years since I worked in the pharmacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the ensuing time, every pharmacist nowadays Their minimal degree is a doctorate. I didn't know that. There were also uh, psychotherapists, licensed psychotherapists like Colleen there. And I think it's in that, Mm -hmm. rather than talking about it, because it feels like that it's possible. It feels Mm -hmm. like it's possible to do that. So in that spirit, every time that you and I do an exercise here and talk about it, I really think that's where the real learning happens. I'm all for facts and information. In about five seconds, you're going to get some information. (laughs) (laughs) But having said that, the pearl of great price to me is when we can actually move in and do something that changes us so right yeah yeah ah so a couple people are watching in here Austin is watching from Philadelphia now that's confusing because Austin you're right here this is getting kind of freaky. Austin Austin <laughs> Armstrong, who's one of the co-producers, wrote me this morning. Is He's got a secret plan, and he's actually recruiting people named Austin all over the world to barrage Odie and me. And so pretty soon everybody we talk to will be Austin. <laughs> and I see one exception. I see Angela is also... Here, and I'm happy to see you, Angela. Thank you for joining us. Austin in Philadelphia, it's great. I, I met Austin uh, in, in, in Salt Lake City at the conference, mm-hmm. and Austin, I still remember your kind comments to me on uh, uh, that final morning that we were together, Saturday or maybe it was Sunday morning, just telling me how much you had uh, gotten out of what I presented. Some of this will be old hat for you, but as I said to Odie, yeah. I don't think that it hurts to practice. Absolutely. In, uh, in uh, German, they have this phrase, macht den Meister, which translates as practice makes perfect. Mm, yeah. <laughs> practice makes the master. And I think there's not enough times that we can practice some yeah. of these good things. So thank you, Austin, for joining us. And you too, Angela, for all your support throughout all this uh, podcast series. Thank you. I'd like to introduce you guys to Dr. Joseph Wolpe. <laughs> 25 years ago, I was teaching at a local university and I had the honor of working next to, uh, on the faculty with Dr. Wolpe. In fact, I was always so proud because in the faculty, in the catalog, you know, all the names of the faculty, end mm-hmm. Weathers goes right before Wolpe, and I thought that's amazing. I could never have imagined that my face and name would ever be contiguous right. with Dr. Wolpe. Dr. Mm-hmm. Wolpe hails from South Africa. And he was the originator in the 1950s of what is now called behavior therapy, hmm. which is the roots of what we call cognitive behavior therapy. This guy was the actual founder of this back in the 1950s. Hmm. He's associated with a number of terms that won't matter to you unless you're a psychologist <laughs> or therapist. He's the he's the founder. Uh, he was the originator of the idea of systematic desensitization, which is, for example, if you have a phobia, if you yeah. or I are afraid of an elevator, mm-hmm. uh What will perpetuate the phobia is just never riding an elevator. Mm, I just always take stairs. And Dr. Wolpe discovered through a series of experiments and lots of clinical uh, experience that the only way to help Odie or Bob get over any phobia or any fear is to gradually expose us to the fearful stimulus. Hmm. But you can't do that too fast or you'll actually implode Odie and Bob. Hmm. And so he would teach people how to relax through, like, progressive muscular relaxation and then gradually approach, let's say, the elevator, very Mm -hmm. gradually, and then when we begin to uptick in terms of anxiety, move us back, more breathing, Mm -hmm. more relaxation, back (laughs) to the elevator. And you do that long enough and you desensitize to the the phobia. Hmm. Hence, systematic desensitization. Well, Dr. Wolpe uh, was fond of big words, and so another term that he came up with was reciprocal inhibition. This is completely common sense available. The term is problematic just because it's, uh, well, it is what it says. And so what this means is that uh, if, you can find, if you can find some behavior that we do and find something that inhibits it, mm. hence reciprocal, then do the other behavior. <laughs> so mm. it's completely common sense. Okay. So it's like my mom or dad growing up, Bob, don't think negatively, think positively. Mm-hmm. That would be reciprocal inhibition. Well, in the context of our talking here about shame, stigma, and their serving as chief barriers to successful recovery, here's an example of reciprocal inhibition, specifically If we can develop self-compassion, that will be the thesis for today's exercise. If we can develop self-compassion, it is impossible for me to feel compassionate towards myself Mm -hmm. or for you to feel uh, forgiveness or compassion towards yourself and to feel shame at the same time. They're opposites. They're actually mutually exclusive. Shame is the absence of Mm -hmm. self-compassion. Self-compassion is the victory over shame. Mm. And so, in honor of Dr. Wolpe all those years ago, uh, i don't think he ever came up with this particular one but he came up with the concept reciprocal inhibition is what we'll be working on today i also want to give a shout out or credit to two uh, very powerful early influences for me in my own recovery i went into detox came out of detox began to get involved in self-help support groups including 12-step support groups mm-hmm. but one of the real bones to my early recovery was discovering refuge recovery there's a there should be a slide there for that refuge recovery uh refuge recovery is it's a mindfulness based Uh, Approach to recovery, and it's based nominally in Buddhist principles. It does not require you to be Buddhist. You can be Christian. You can be atheist. It doesn't matter. You're using certain principles around mindfulness, which can be seen as a secular process. It can be applied, for example, if you're Catholic, Mm -hmm. you can do you can do mindfulness from a Catholic perspective or from Mm -hmm. some other Christian perspective. There are plenty of people that have no religious belief that use mindfulness as a form of stress regulation, and it's fine. Mm -hmm. And so I, I got involved in Refuge Recovery. As I've talked about here before, I had done my doctoral dissertation some 35 years ago on mindfulness, Mm -hmm. and I'd practiced it more often than not over all the intervening years. As I've also mentioned here before, it didn't keep me from becoming addicted. Mm -hmm. So it's not a magic bullet, but I felt like it was going to be a resource in my early recovery. Mm -hmm. So thankfully for me, in, in Santa Monica, California, near where I lived, there was an active and vibrant group that I could begin attending several times a week. I got very involved in that group. And then continued when I moved down to Orange County to continue to be involved in refuge recovery. Uh, during the, during those early months, the early years, I attended two workshops that were formative for me. One was by the actual kind of founder of refuge recovery, Noah Levine. I had known Noah's father back in the early 1980s when I was in graduate school. Noah's father, Stephen Levine, was a... Um, uh, uh, an early proponent of mindfulness and he was part, he was involved in my dissertation work and little did I know that his son was writing skateboards up at that time, up in Santa Cruz. (laughs) That's where they lived. And so Noah, a generation later becomes a leader in mindfulness applied to addiction and recovery. Mm -hmm. And so I got to attend uh, this book that's up on the screen, uh, uh, Refuge Recovery is written by Noah Levine, and it's a good resource if you have an interest at all in integrating mindfulness with. Uh, if you're doing 12-step work, for example, it's very much integrated there. You'll see the the the, the dialogue. Uh, I got a chance to spend uh, a weekend uh, just studying mindfulness with Noah, mm-hmm. and uh, and before that, I got a chance to spend another. Actually, it was a series of weeks with one of his students, one of his uh, colleagues. George Haas, they're both up in Los Angeles. And with George Haas, we practiced forgiveness practice, which is, uh, is a mindfulness-based practice mm-hmm. that for whatever reason, Odie, it took for me. It was yeah. like I was involved in, in AA at the time and was working the steps. I spent a year working the steps, the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. And steps four and five around a moral inventory, I spent a good part of a year coming up with all the people I had wronged mm. in and around my addiction. Right. And it came out to it even hundred which means I could have done a 1,000. I had to stop at some point. <laughs> or so I thought. Yeah. There's, there's a postscript to that, and I'll get to that in a second. So I stopped at 100 and went in-depth in terms of those 100 people that I had wronged. Mm-hmm. And then steps 8 and 9 in the 12 steps are making amends. So it's where I have to go right. out and talk to you. And mm-hmm. if you're alive. If you're not, then I have to do it in an interior way. Mm-hmm. And so I worked through that list of 100, and I found it really valuable, so valuable, in fact, that I thought, I don't want this to stop. How do, I, how do I continue to do this? Well, it was simultaneous with my being involved in refuge recovery and mm. practicing this forgiveness practice. And I yeah. began to realize that there's a way that I could do this more often than once in a lifetime. Mm. There are some people that repeat the steps, 12 steps, 12 months. They repeat them every year. I honor that. Yeah. But I felt like once every 12 months wasn't going to be enough for me mm. to do steps four and five or steps eight and nine so I began to experiment with this is now six years ago began to experiment with practicing this meditation every morning Hmm. and so that's like doing 12 steps every day Hmm. and uh, i just did that that's what i've done there's some exceptions i have my off days for sure (laughs) but way more often than not i practice forgiveness practice every day Hmm. and uh, uh that's that's the postscript is that i was thinking man there's a hundred people there might be a lot more well mm. you know at six years of doing forgiveness practice we've covered a lot of ground I, I don't know <laughs> what the list is at this point yeah. but it's long yeah. and uh, as I shared in the group on this last week I end up focusing around this forgiveness practice typically on the relationships that are centermost most to me like you with your wife me mm-hmm. with mine mm-hmm. family members other close people in our life right. we're constantly bumping up against each other and oh, yeah. it makes sense for me to keep things cleared out uh, the image mm-hmm. I shared last Friday when I did this exercise with the pharmacist as of a pipe cleaner. For some reason, like running a pipe cleaner, <laughs> uh, it's just like this is a pipe cleaner for me. Yeah. So uh, I've been I've been practice I've been practicing this for for about six years. Now the relevance to uh, bringing this to the pharmacist is that it's one thing to talk about shame and stigma, and you and I can intellectually agree that it's a bad thing. Right. And I can even talk myself into. I'll tell you what prompted this. I'll tell you what prompted this, in the conversation. During my first presentation to this group on shame and stigma, mm-hmm. towards the very end of it, we were talking about how do you respond as a pharmacist to somebody who you uh, imagine to be uh, addicted. Mm. And there was a woman on the left. I can still remember her. I can still remember her name, Debbie. Debbie stood up and she says, well, you respond with compassion. Mm. You respond with, 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 without judgment. And that's the right answer. That's the right answer. Mm-hmm. But what occurred to me overnight was well then how do, that begs the question. How do I develop compassion towards mm-hmm. you if you're addicted yeah, and I'm a pharmacist problem. and I want to provide support for you and guidance for you, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of possible referrals to a 12-step group or possible mm-hmm. referrals to to uh, some form of treatment, right? How do I develop that inside and it occurs to me or it occurred to me then over that night that it's really incumbent upon me to offer a practice that people can actually do Mm. that over time, and I can vouch for it as a subject of one, (laughs) that over time you can actually begin to soften those edges that are are in all of us. Mm. I shared with the group that when I got into recovery all those years ago, I had done a lot of work with clients in fact half of the clients that come to see a psychotherapist are clinically addicted mm. done a lot of work with addiction i'd never been addicted myself owing to my own particular history right but i was never particularly judgmental i wouldn't judge you if you came in as, or so i thought mm. but when i got into recovery i realized oh, it was very subtle very subtle it's like well let me help Odie. he's got that problem he's one <laughs> of those and it was subtle it wasn't even that gross yeah but it's just to say that there's biases that we all have, and we can think we don't have them yeah. until we're one of them, yeah. one of those that we were biased against. Mm. And that's changed everything for me. That was a game changer for me. Mm. And so how do we root this out? Well, I think there's lots of ways of doing this through prayer, through meditation, mm. through good counsel. But this practice is the one that I've that I've used, and I've introduced it once uh, at least once before here, but it's a new context and a new time, and it's actually in the... It's in the context, it's almost like this is a climactic expression of where we've been for the last several weeks. Mm-hmm. Actually, the last few months, talking about, we've been talking about shame from every possible angle and how is it that we can unshame ourselves. You've shared and I've shared yep. ways that we've been embarrassed or ashamed about things that we've done. And shame drives us into secrecy. Yep. Shame paralyzes our communicating with our intimate, our, our uh, those that we love the most. Yep. How do we open this up? Well, this is like... This is like sit-ups for the soul, hmm. you know? If you decide you want to develop your abs, or I do, I can do a set of sit-ups right now, and it's not going to do me a whole lot of good right. other than tomorrow I'll be able, barely be able to walk. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I can do those for a week, right? Yeah. I can do those for a week, and, and that's not bad. But it's going to take maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months to begin to develop tone in my abs that I haven't had. Forgiveness practice the same way. We're going to do it right today. I don't imagine that the heavens are going to open and a light's going to shine on Odie Martinez. If that happens, I'd like to get a part of that. (laughs) But I don't imagine that's going to happen. I I hope hope that you'll have a positive experience. I hope that our participants today will have a positive experience. The reality is you may or you may not. We're actually going to talk about that after we do the exercise. But the fact is, is that if, if you're drawn to this, I'm going to emphasize this later, it's the practice. It's mm-hmm. the habitual practice. Yep. You remember I talked about Dr. Wolpe. Mm-hmm. You don't approach the elevator, relax once, and just march into the elevator. Right. It's very gradual. You begin to build, in a sense, psychic muscles to be able to tolerate something that was fearful. In this case, what we're doing is we're building psychic muscles to begin to dissolve shame's stranglehold right. on yeah. our souls. And That's so good. this exercise is meant to set that in motion. So we're going to do the exercise. Yeah. Are you cool? Yeah. Okay. Odie's going to talk. I want you guys to know that. <laughs> we're going to have a follow-up series of questions. I'm going to ask you all that are watching as well as uh, Odie and me. Okay. Yeah. So if you'll get yourself comfortable, it's, uh, I do this every morning. It takes me about five minutes. I think it's going to take us about 10 minutes because mm. I'm going to be explaining stuff as we go through. Once you get the hang of it, uh, you can do it pretty quickly. Mm. Okay. So uh, if you'll join me in just closing your eyes. Let's take a deep breath in, hold that and release that. The goal is just to relax a little bit into this. Another deep breath and let that go. I generally meditate for about 10 minutes every morning before I do the forgiveness portion of my morning quiet time. Um, We'll we'll, we'll dive right into it today, but it makes sense to kind of tenderize your soul before you go into this. What I would like all of our participants, our viewers today to do, is think of someone uh, in your life, preferably somebody that matters to you, that you have hurt in some way, probably unintentionally. I'd like you to pick something that's manageable, I don't want you to overwhelm yourself right now, we're not going down the elevator shaft. Just want you to pick something that feels manageable, somebody that you've wronged, that comes to mind. And something you've done that feels like it's tolerable, manageable today. Because what we're going to be doing is asking for forgiveness. And we're going to start that in a moment. So give yourself just a second to think of someone that you love and a situation where you did something that was uncharacteristically uh, hurtful. Okay, I'm going to talk us through three strands, three successive strands of uh, forgiveness and self-compassion here. And each one kind of builds on the uh, the one before. So starting with this, I want you to say in your mind's eye or in your heart's eye, uh, for whatever I have done to you or not done for you, causing you harm, thinking of this person, Think of the situation. For whatever I have done to you or not done for you, causing you harm, please forgive me. Ask that in your mind's eye if you can, just to yourself. I think it's very helpful here. I think, In fact, I think it's necessary here that you imagine what it felt like to the other individual when you did this thing that hurt them. Imagine what they felt like. This way we're not skipping by that. We're actually holding that. Sorrow, that grief, that pain. For whatever I have done to you or not done for you, causing you pain, please forgive me. For whatever I have said to you or said against you, causing you pain, please forgive me. <coughs> For whatever I have said to you or said against you, causing you pain, please forgive me. Again, imagine what it was like for that person to hear what you said to them. And if you said something against them and they didn't hear it, literally, imagine what it would have felt like if they found out what you'd said against them. Say to somebody else. For whatever I have said to you or said against you, causing you pain, please forgive me. Next. For whatever I have thought about you or thought against you, causing you pain, please forgive me. And in this case, undoubtedly, they're not mind readers. They don't know what you thought about them, or a good chance they don't. So imagine what it would be like if they could read your mind and knew what you thought about them or thought against them. For whatever I have thought about you or thought against you, causing you pain, please forgive me. That's the first strand. The second strand is this. We're going to flip it 180 degrees. So, for whatever you have done to me or done against me, causing me pain, I forgive you. See how we flipped it around now? This will be tough for some, some of us. I'm asking you to imagine anything that they could have done to hurt you. Sometimes I get stuck on this, and it's helpful for me to do a couple things. First of all, it's important that I uh, identify something that they've done that's hurtful. And if if you can't think of something, then imagine knowing them. Imagine if they were to do something, something that would be hurtful. Imagine that. That's the first piece. The second thing is it's really important that you feel what it would feel like or feel what it felt like so to actually not bypass the pain that this was for you. And then finally, thirdly, I'm going to ask us to imagine why they did it. It's asking us not to make excuses for them. It's asking us to understand why somebody who loves us could have done something that hurt us. So again, for whatever you have done to me or not done for me, causing me pain, I forgive you. Next, for whatever you have said to me or said against me, causing me pain, I forgive you. Same thing, imagine, if if you, if, if you can't think of an instance, imagine what it might have been, what would it feel like, what did it feel like, and why might they have said that. Try to understand it. You don't have to agree with it we're not justifying it we're just explaining it and then and then letting go of resentment <clears throat> next for whatever you have thought about me or thought against me causing me pain i forgive you The goal here is forgiveness, not necessarily reconciliation. Psychology makes a distinction here. Forgiveness is where I let go of resentment towards you. Reconciliation is where I reestablish relationship with you. And there are some instances, particularly extreme instances, where we've been so wronged with somebody who is completely non-repentant that it actually is another abuse to ourselves to reestablish relationship. Having said that, we can still carry around the resentment that actually ends up holding us back and holding us down. And so is there a way that we can lighten that load without assuming that necessarily it requires reconciliation? Okay, that's the second strand. The third and final strand is this. It's going to sound a little bit like the first one, but it's also radically different. This one goes, for whatever... I have done to you or not done for you, causing you harm, causing you pain, I forgive myself. You remember what we did for the last strand where where we looked into trying to find a reason that makes some sense of what felt so harmful or painful? this time we want to turn that same objectivity back on ourselves which is to say whatever i did or didn't do to harm this person why would i have done that with somebody i love what's going on inside is there a way i can understand that again this is not to slither away from responsibility or justify your excuse but it really is meant to drop to a deeper level of comprehension and then in that space to see if we can allow for forgiveness for ourselves some of you viewing today may be religious, have a religious faith, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back through this exercise and insert what you might consider inserting for yourself. Let's try it. For whatever I have done to you or not done for you, causing you harm, with God's help, I forgive myself. If that fits for you or you, you can adapt that, please do. I forgive myself. Next, for whatever I have said to you or said against you, causing you harm, again, I forgive myself. And finally, for whatever I have thought about you or thought against you, causing you harm, I forgive myself. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes, and we'll be back again. Okay. Thank you all for joining uh, in the exercise. I have a couple of things that I want to do. The next slide uh, is is the first question I want to ask, and we'll start with you and me, Odin. Yeah. Uh, What did you, uh, as you participated in this exercise today, what did you find most helpful? Just for you to know, on uh, Friday when I led this uh, exercise with the pharmacy, uh, uh, room full of pharmacists, uh, we asked the same question. I had them turn to one another and, and speak into this. And Odie and I will do this right now to kick this off. I want to invite you, as you're viewing this, to if you feel, if you feel uh, led to do this, I totally encourage it, is why don't you share with us what you found most helpful. The only other instruction I gave the group, and I want to give it to you and me, Odie, hmm. is that I don't want this to be necessarily focusing on the content of what you did, because the content is, is unique to you, Odie, or unique yeah. to me, Bob. Uh, but the process is universal. What you just mm-hmm. did, in terms of, of, of mm-hmm. a process, in terms of whatever we found most helpful in it, in this exercise, that's universal. Yeah. And I'll have my own version of that. And so, as as you reflect on this, just see if you can imagine which which one of these strands seemed like it hit home the most for you. So, may I, I'll start with you and me, Odie, and invite others to share uh, as you feel so inclined. I really encourage that. Do you mind uh, starting? Not at it? all. Uh, so. I'd say the first trend was probably
1: um, helpful okay. just because uh, there's what I was thinking about was um, there's been instances where uh, I've been disrespectful to my mom mm-hmm. so like uh, really dumb stuff just lashing out at mm-hmm. her over mm-hmm. something really stupid and uh, I've, I've never taken the opportunity to to like talk to her. And say like, hey, yeah. you know, I know when I was younger, I was yeah. difficult, and I know I had moments of frustrations where I just lashed out. Yeah. Sure. So I never had the opportunity to pretty much mm-hmm. say, hey, yeah. I'm sorry, you yeah. know, forgive me for doing that. So I think that's pretty good.
0: Yeah. One of the things that's cool about this, thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. One thing that's cool about this is that you can practice it on your own, like mm-hmm. you do with this. And as I shared earlier, for people that really matter in our lives, for example, you with your mother, you can practice it a lot. Mm. And if at some point you feel inclined, you can bring this to your mother. It's really up to you. My mother passed away just two years ago, and so I don't have Mm. the opportunity of bringing things anymore. And you say, well, I guess Bob's done meditating on his relationship to his mom. That's not true. Mm. I continue to work uh, around forgiveness practice with my mom in all the ways that we just talked about. It doesn't even require for the person to be alive. Yeah. I'm really struck by that. And so you can have a lifetime of work on this. Hmm. If your mom is alive and available and you trust that she's not going to uh, endanger you. One of the things in the 12-step program, right. they talk about making amends, but not if it's going to be where somebody's going to get harmed in it right, and yeah. that person can that could get harmed might be the one who's asking for forgiveness right, yeah. so you have to be judicious in that mm-hmm. having said that it, you, you can bring this to your mom if you feel so inclined mm-hmm. my sense of it for me i can tell you this is my experience of it mm-hmm. is that continuing to kind of cultivate this soil continuing to cultivate this soil mm-hmm. uh, it it creates a different me Right. And so I feel like that puts out something into the universe or into, mm-hmm. into basic energy. So if I'm communicating, like let's say I'm you, if I'm in your mom, mm-hmm. if I'm communicating to you, I might or might not bring the specifics of today to her. It's right. up to you. Yeah, yeah. But I will be a different Odie talking to my mom right. because I'm changed by that. And I think that that's uh, salutary. I think mm-hmm. that that's a positive thing. Yeah, absolutely. There's okay. a couple of comments up here. Let me see what uh, someone said here. What I found most helpful was trying to understand why I did what I did to them and why they did what they did to me. The intention to understand was the most powerful for me. Hmm. Another part that was important was to, was feeling yeah. the feelings that came up. Thank you. Thank you. I don't you mean know. to cut you off. Let no, me respond fine. and we'll yeah, come back it. to this. Yeah. I agree with 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 you that shared this. I really appreciate this. I think there's something about psychology calls it social perspective taking mm-hmm. and it's my taking your perspective or in your case, it's your taking your your mom's perspective right And it's your taking your perspective in terms mm-hmm. of what it felt like to you and and why you might have done it. Yeah. there's I don't think it's I know that for me personally. That it's not possible for me to forgive myself unless mm-hmm. I can find some standpoint that gets me off the hot seat of just being defective. Mm. That's really the definition of shame. Yeah. That somehow or another, it's not that I hurt my mom. It's that I'm a loser. Mm.
1: That, yeah. Of course, this is
0: what I do because I'm a loser. Right. Rather than this is a situation that I can actually change. I plan mm-hmm. to change. Right and I plan to make amends in whatever way, whatever form that takes. And so this business of taking another person's perspective, there's actually a more technical term in recent years in psychoanalysis, and it's called mentalizing. It isn't what it sounds like is it makes it sound like it's all mental. Right, yeah. And it's actually heart and soul. Mm. For me to be able to take your perspective or you mine or you with your mom mm. is being able to imagine into their felt experience. And so mm. it's a deeply emotional experience right. to be able to do that. So like walking in their shoes. It is walking in their yeah. shoes with full heart open. Mm. And I think that with practice, we can get really good at this. Mm. This is the kind of work that therapists have to do to develop any skills. This right. is at the very root of what therapists have to do. But then and one of, of the goals them. of therapists is to with patients draw their clients into the same capacity Mm. particularly clients that have conflicts with spouses or parents or bosses which means all of us How do I learn how to mentalize? How do I learn to be able to take a a walk in your shoes rather than just see everything through my own perspective? Hmm. So that's the first point that you made, and I agree with you. It's extremely valuable. This one kind of evolved for me in doing this forgiveness practice because I found that it was easy for me to skip this. Hmm. And I could give a blanket forgiveness to my mom, let's say, or you, your mom. And the truth is I haven't really felt into it. And the fact is, is that if I don't get to some reason for making sense of it, I'm going to harbor resentment by mm-hmm. definition, so I have to get to that again as I said earlier in the meditation it's not about excusing her right but it's about understanding her mm-hmm. and then realizing that this is why she did it and it's also becomes uh, becomes almost like it's a function of she just wasn't any more skillful right yeah. I wasn't any more skillful this mm-hmm. is the best I could do yeah. I was freaked out I was afraid I was I was vulnerable to shame. Mm. I was angry, whatever it is, and realize I did that. But as soon as you make that move, then it's no longer Odie's the problem or right. Bob's the problem. It's like the anger or the shame or whatever it is, the fear. Yep. Those, are, those are the issues. And if I can somehow find a way to heal that, I'm not going to be such a uh, mess up. Right. Yeah. In fact, I'm not a mess up. It's just that where I'm human is what I am. Right. The second point was about feeling. And I think that you, to do this... There's actually the distinction we made uh, last week between cheap grace and costly grace. Mm-hmm. Cheap grace would be doing this and doing it on automatic pilot. Right, yeah. And I want you to know that I don't think in six years that I've allowed myself just to breeze through this. Why bother mm-hmm. do it? Yeah. Why do something on rote, on automatic pilot? It doesn't make any sense at all. So I wait until I can actually feel mm what this person might have felt like. I wait till I remember what it felt like to have this person do this to me. Right. And that feeling then informs the whole exercise. If we don't connect up head and heart, right. or to put this in brain, if we don't connect up left and right hemispheres, the left hemisphere is verbal, the right hemisphere is more feeling oriented. Mm-hmm. If we don't connect those up, however you think about that, then the exercise will be a hollow one. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, yeah. it doesn't make any sense to even do it. Yeah. So thank you for that contribution. Uh, someone said, I like I also like how this practice breaks things down into steps in a certain order. I've done this so many times you can tell it, I just do it. Yeah. It's like it's just like uh, it gets to where it's very habitual. It's not rote, mm-hmm. but it really is nice to have three strands, three objects of each strand. Mm. Whatever I did to you or didn't do, whatever I said to you or didn't, I said against you, whatever I thought about you, thought against you. You know, if you do that for six years, you're pretty pretty (laughs) doggone good at it. It's nice not to be stumbling over that. And I'll talk later about some resources you can go to to learn more about this so you can practice this if you're interested. It's also completely open to modification. Much of what we're talking about right now, for example, this idea of, perspective-taking. That's completely something that I've added to it owing to the fact that I felt like I wasn't giving the full benefit. Another piece for me is this piece about feeling. I just, I realized at some point, hey, Bob, you need to stop and imagine what it felt like for your mother for you to say that. Mm. And when I imagine that, that deepened the work. And so those are modifications that I've done that really make the work pop, come Mm -hmm. alive for Mm -hmm. me. And Odie, if you do this, you'll find your own improvisations that... That give it your personal signature so it's wide open that way it seems Mm. like to me. Thank you. And hello to Chris who's watching in today. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Let me shift to a second question. What did you find most challenging in this? Uh, The
1: second strand which was uh, uh, pretty much... giving her
0: uh for what she had done to you
1: yeah just because i couldn't find yeah i couldn't find like she yeah. didn't do anything wrong you know yeah and yeah so yeah i'll um, give you an that, example that was this, interesting. the first
0: time this broke down for me is is that a very significant person in my life was mm-hmm. my sixth grade teacher miss todd okay and i met miss todd when i was 11 and i knew her for 45 years mm-hmm. she was 95 when she passed away right. in 2006 and she was like a second mother figure to me and i've meditated around things that i think i did mm. to let her down right and whenever i come to that second strand i swear to you it's like miss todd for whatever you've done to me or not done for me she's only ever given to me right etc and so i felt like there's got to be a different way to tackle this i could just <laughs> write it off in fact for a while i just practice it. we're not going to do the second strand for some people right. yeah. and i realized what if what if there's value in my imagining if she could have done something or fail to do something that would hurt my feelings so that I can at least imagine into that because I don't want to exclude the possibility Mm -hmm. of working out all of these strands with every individual I come up with. And it's not about trying to be hokey about it. It's just trying to imagine into your own feeling if this person could have done something. And honestly, Mm -hmm. with a Miss Todd, it's very hard to come up with something. I have found value in doing that. And that's that's another one of my adaptations. You might or might not want to do that with your mom. Uh, The objection you raise or the challenge that you... Mm -hmm. uh, are describing is not uncommon it came yeah. up this last week with the pharmacist mm. people said what do you do when you don't have any beef with this person <laughs> well what i recommend you do is you imagine into it yeah because i think that that can also be healing inside just mm. because we're talking about developing muscles i know that for me i bet for you too Odie, yeah. it's much easier for me to ask for your forgiveness than to then to forgive you it's much easier for me to identify things i've done wrong or ways i've let you down than the reverse it's just that's the way i'm wired Mm. yeah which means for bob and maybe for Odie, then it's all the more incumbent upon us to develop strand two Mm. because it's like Mm. it's not it's not our nature and for a lot of people that's the case right how about the third strand how'd that go um we're talking about you i'm scott free here (laughs) That's
1: that's the tough part. Just because, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. it's even even if I if I did find something to say, hey, I forgive you. I forgive myself for this. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's not heartfelt. Mm-hmm. Just because um, mm-hmm. yeah. there's times where I feel like, well, I didn't do anything wrong in my eyes. You okay. know what I mean. Okay. Okay. But okay. I'm sure if I were to present it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. they probably say a different story. Well, mm-hmm. you hurt me in doing mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It does. Let me let me
0: respond to you. There's a couple things that come to mind. One is that if I have a hard time, and help me with this, I'm not saying yeah, this right, absolutely. if I have a hard time, if I'm Odie, if I have a hard time being able to see how I did something wrong, mm-hmm. I certainly know that experience myself, Odie, with this yeah. exercise, and I think it's out of that that I... It began to evolve for me that if I can imagine into Miss Todd's experience or my mom or your mom or your right. wife or yeah. my wife, if I can imagine into what they felt, mm-hmm. I, can be, I began to help me understand that this did harm them. Yeah, exactly. And so that's a start. That's a start. Yeah. And if I, if I love them, like you love your wife okay. or you love your mom, and I did something to harm them, that bears my examination. Yeah. That bears me looking at that. And why would I have done that? It doesn't yeah. take making you bad. Right. And I had to learn this over time. It doesn't take making me bad. <laughs> but I have bad days. Yeah. I suspect that you do. And I've got certain uh, kind of uh, hot buttons. Mm-hmm. When they get punched, I'll do something that's uncharacteristic. Right. I'm typically pretty low-key and mellow, but I can get pissed in a second around yeah. certain things. <laughs> or get afraid. Yeah. Or be vulnerable to a shame pothole. And then I out comes... Uh, pretty gnarly Bob. Yeah. (laughs) And so is there a way for me to understand that I hurt my wife or hurt my mother or hurt Miss Todd, look at my responsibility in that and examine that Mm -hmm. with honesty to say, wow, you know, I was so preoccupied that I didn't pay any attention to you. Yeah, exactly. Or you touched some nerve, so I lashed out at you and... Mm -hmm. And then can I forgive myself for that? Mm. And so, yeah. if it's with with a spiritual faith, which I believe you have, yes, then mm-hmm. it's it's rallying God's support in that because I don't know of any religion, uh, 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 including Christianity, that doesn't include a hefty forgiveness component. Yeah, easier said than done, right? Yeah, exactly. but I, that's the whole point here: is that why would we just read a passage, say, out of the Bible that talks mm-hmm. about being forgiven and not do anything to cultivate that inside. Mm, I don't believe that reading a passage in a book is sufficient for most of us around this. So I've got to find some skillful means, some practice for this. This isn't the only one in town. This is the one that I know (laughs) really well. And I'm totally cool with you adapting it. But some way to begin to develop that, A, taking responsibility, and B, really beginning to experience forgiveness from God forgiveness from within for myself mm-hmm. being able to accept that this is this particular strand is the one that most people come up to me after mm-hmm. including this conference come up to me and they will have been deeply moved by it yeah or they won't have experienced it and just be honest i think what you're saying it yeah. just it takes work i don't think any of this comes comes quickly yeah. but for people that just for whatever reason the door opens it's like whoa that was heavy duty and, mm-hmm. and i had people at the conference coming up to me with tears in their eyes. It's just like they had never experienced that. And mm. almost universally in the room yeah. on, on Friday, as with any other time I've presented this, individuals who participate in it with open heart like you are mm-hmm. will say the third strand is the most challenging. Yeah. absolutely. Like, I can ask okay. you for forgiveness. I can even forgive you. But yeah. forgive myself. you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. So it's very yeah. hard to do that. And it so is. I think that, you know, we're promoting this exercise in the context of weeks of discussing shame. Yeah. And the lack of self-compassion and what we're doing is trying to cultivate some kind of regular practice that would open our hearts to to self-compassion, to self-forgiveness. And I think it's a a piece of work. There's practice involved in it. There's another comment up here. Do you suggest using this practice in conjunction with actually making amends with other people? If yes, how would you do that? Great question. I think it's implied in what we were talking about earlier with your mom. That's what comes Mm -hmm. to mind right now is I don't feel like I want to turn this into, oh, therefore I have to go talk to mom right now. Yeah, that exactly. feels dishonoring of your own pace, of your own timing mm-hmm. with this. Mm-hmm. If you if you continue to cultivate this, and by the people that matter most to you in your life, you'd probably cultivate it by practicing it again and again from different angles. My guess, for me what's happened is I've been spontaneously led to mm-hmm. come to ODI, mm-hmm. and I may have practiced, I, I do this with my wife Colleen. Yeah. I'll practice this, I get up early in the morning, I practice this, I don't wake her up in the morning and go, "Honey, I just want to share with you what came up in forgiveness yeah. practice." I don't do that. Yeah. But if I work things often enough, it will come up spontaneously in our conversations, mm. and even with people that you see less often, it'll 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 stir something in the heart. Where, honestly, our whole point here is, I can't ask you for forgiveness if I'm ashamed. Yeah. And so if I can build muscles of self-compassion where now I can actually risk coming to you right. to ask for forgiveness, then I'll be led to do so. And so what we're doing is lifting the cap off mm. of, of making amends with other people. So for me, there's a natural flow from this where I know that I'm far more capable six years later than I ever was before in my life right. to come to you when I honestly have stepped on your toe and yeah. just say, I'm really sorry I stepped on your toe. Mm-hmm. I don't have to hide it. I don't have to fix it. I don't have to divert it. I just own up to it with you. Right. With sincere heart, and generally speaking, I'll get a a, a complimentary response, yeah. which means that we're we're back together again. It yeah. restores re- restores the bond between us. <laughs> in terms of how I would do that, I hope it's implied in what I've said. I think I think I just said it. Yeah. Um. Everybody has their own style. I tend to be pretty um, blunt about it. Mm -hmm. Odie, I think I said something yesterday, and it was in poor taste. I thought about it last night. I don't know why I said it. In fact, I have an idea why I said it, but I don't even know that that matters to say to you. I just want to apologize for that. Hmm. And Odie might say, I don't even remember. (laughs) And I go, I appreciate that, but I do want you to know that it's not okay with me, for me, to have said that. Mm -hmm. And so it's not even about whether you remember it or not. And I think if you know that I'm that willing to be transparent with you, We we create a stronger relationship. Bob's going to come to me and say things even if I don't remember them because he values me enough to Mm -hmm. do that. And the subtext is Bob's clear enough inside from shame where he can Mm -hmm. afford to do that because as we talked about in previous weeks, shame will completely paralyze that and I won't do it. Mm -hmm. And actually what I can do is I can say something that hurts you that you do remember and by my not coming to you, I actually look like I'm I'm indifferent to you. Mm -hmm. In other words, I can't come to you and ask for forgiveness because I'm too shame prone. And then so it, what you get over time, and I've lived this in my life, you get gradual distance that grows. It's like Odie mm-hmm. doesn't feel safe around Bob because Bob can say things that are hurtful, and it looks like he doesn't give a darn. Yeah. Fact is, I give such a darn, but I'm so vulnerable to shame that I can't do it. So mm-hmm. this this provides a way out of that. So yeah. whatever language you yeah. or I would use for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of uh, a couple weekends ago, Memorial Day weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I were getting together with uh, uh, two people that uh, we look up to and we're close to, mm-hmm. and they tend to have this this habit where we'll invite them to hang out with us, yeah. and then they'll end up inviting other people as well. Yep. And um, to your place? No, to just so oh, okay, to, to give yeah. you yep. I guess context behind it, we were going to go to the beach. Yep. And we said, hey, let's let's hang out, let's go to the beach yep. together. I said, okay. And then the day of
0: They invite the whole neighborhood.
1: Yeah, they said it's like, Oh cool, uh we're still up for the beach, by the way, these people are coming too. But they don't they didn't ask or anything like at right. least for uh, I know people are different, but for my wife and I our yeah. our language I guess is just like, you know, ask us yeah. first before yeah. you invite It'd be people. Easy to do. Yeah. yeah. And so I was gonna let it slide, but they've been do, doing mm-hmm. it a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. so you saying that and how like um, it shows that you care about yeah. not only them, but yeah. the relationship yeah. that you have with them. Yeah. Uh, I felt like that was the right thing to do. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. and then after, I was just like, well, it was a little awkward hanging out, but I felt better okay. like telling telling them. But you t-
0: know? You, so you told them yeah. about this. I yeah, you that. know what? Doing this exercise, or yeah. whatever, however you adapt it, it makes it not only more possible for me to ask you for forgiveness, right. it also makes it more possible for me to bring up things that risk mm-hmm. our relationship because the greater risk would be not to discuss it with yeah, them. Exactly. And so what builds up is, is resentment. Mm-hmm. But finally you don't want to ever ask them to go to the blasted beach ever. <laughs> and so you just try to keep it cleared out. And so I think that the goal here is to keep things clear between us. Yeah. It's a great example. Yeah. And it's a you know it's it's a great example because it's no more dramatic than this. Yeah. And we we're all involved in this. We bump and move and step on each other's toes. We do it all the time. What can I do uh, to keep love flowing? Yeah. What can I do to keep love flowing? Let me ask you guys this. What's to be done next? Next slide. What's to be done next after this exercise? <laughs> next slide. <laughs> Here's some resources. Here's some resources. One is, is you can go to my website, and, and in December I recorded this, this meditation, hmm. and I, I did the long version like I did today, which is I explain all the things, and it takes you through this. It's really cool because it's with some really cool music in the background <laughs> that that a dear friend of mine, Doug Prater, produced. Mm-hmm. And then there's a short meditation, which is the five-minute version, which is what I do every morning. Mm-hmm. So you can that's one resource for you. The next slide, you can see there's also resources on YouTube. And I just brought up one uh, 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 in preparing this. This one's on YouTube, and you can look it up under The Healing Power of Forgiveness under YouTube. Look up my name, Dr. Bob Weathers. And there's a whole discussion there that's freely available on YouTube. The CD costs a little bit of money to cover the expenses, mm-hmm. and if it's useful to you, great. Uh, you can. Uh, I actually did it, <laughs> but I also downloaded it, and I downloaded it into my, uh, my uh, uh, music files, my iTunes. Mm-hmm. And so just recently I went back and listened to it. Because if you do it, you know, why would you listen to it? You just did it. But I found it really cool to go back and listen to it. I just did it as if I'm listening to Bob Weathers for the first time. (laughs) And so there's value in kind of sharpening it for me. And so there's a couple of resources right there. And plus... Austin and Franz and Odie, you'll have access to this particular discussion, (laughs) including the exercise we just did, in perpetuity in multiple sources. You can come to it and ask an addiction specialist in Facebook. You can go to YouTube because Austin and Franz will put it on YouTube. You can also come to Beginnings Treatment Centers, which is one of the sponsors of this uh, weekly podcast. So Mm -hmm. there'll be resources. You've got tons of resources to be able to fiddle with this and improvise on it and practice. Okay, some homework for you all. I would like to challenge all of us to do what we can to practice this more than just today. I wrote here, Self-Forgiveness is Daily Practice. That's the subtitle of the book that I'm completing right now on Unshaming, Self-Forgiveness is Daily Practice. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is to do it regularly. Once won't do it enough. It's, right. you, know, you had some insights today, which is yeah. great. Appreciate you sharing them. Yeah, and if I practice that uh, again and again, and if you do that, other people will come in. And we begin to stir something begins to stir inside of us, new skills begin to come up, new questions begin to form, N- modifications of this begin to go. I say modify this at will. And so mm-hmm. I really want to challenge all of us to do what we can do to, um, to give this a shot, right. give yeah. this a shot. I think in the conference on, on Friday, I said, if you were to do this once a day for a month, you would not be the same person at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. And I realized later, you know how you say things and you think about them? I realized the fact is, is no one's going to practice every day for a month, probably. Yeah. Not even me, and I'm committed to it. <laughs> so the reality is just, if you could practice this a few times yeah. more and give it a shot, I would really appreciate that, and I think you will too. We're closing up right now. In our last, uh, in our last episode, our last podcast, we had this image of Excalibur. Of the sword and the stone. Mm. And we talked about, uh, that was two weeks ago, we talked about your homework that week was to pull the sword out of the stone. And Mm. we talked about the stone as being shame. Mm. Well, I want to talk about the the sword today. And I think the sword that we pull out of the stone of shame is self-compassion. And so if I can go down into what was previously shameful to me, Mm. for you, O.D., for me, if I can go down into that and then pull that out, that... That which I pull out will be self-compassion. Mm-hmm. It takes getting really close to the material that's really paralyzing. Yeah. That's the shame. But not letting it uh, overcome us, not mm. succumbing to that. And so we pull out self-compassion and leave stone of shame behind. Mm. So today we've been talking about practicing forgiveness and self, uh, self-compassion. self yep. Let me talk just real briefly about next week. It'll be in the very same spirit. Do you remember earlier how I talked about reciprocal inhibition? And Dr. Joseph Wolpe? Just as self-compassion and and shame are mutually exclusive, next week we're going to introduce gratitudes. Mm -hmm. Talk about it in terms of marking gratitudes in our lives. And in the literature of shame in psychology, There's a lot of research to suggest that not only self-compassion is mutually exclusive with shame, Mm. but interestingly, gratitude is mutually exclusive with shame. Hmm. So I'm going to leave you with with that cliffhanger. (laughs)
1: Quite a cliffhanger. Oh, yeah.
0: You'll be obsessing about this every day, I know, between now and next Wednesday. We'll be back next Wednesday to introduce gratitude, very much in the spirit of self-compassion today. What I'm invested in is our developing as many different pathways mm-hmm. to healing as possible. This yeah. is in the context of addiction and recovery. What can we do to to develop a strong foundation for sustained successful recovery? I think some of these skills today's self-compassion, next yeah. week, gratitudes, and I, I'll I'll argue strongly out of theory and research, and then we'll do a we'll do an exercise <laughs> next week. Uh, so that's what you have to look forward to next week. I invite any questions that you all have. You can write to Austin here at Ask Addiction Specialist. You can also go to uh, Beginnings Treatment Centers. You can also come to my website, which is drbobweathers.com. That's a tough one. And uh, there's a contact. You can contact me there, and a number of you do each week. Contact me directly through my website. And uh, the goal here is to help this material sink in and for you to be able to consolidate it. I want to thank all of you for joining me today. Most of all, you, Odie. I always appreciate your presence. Thank you. I want to thank France and Austin for making this possible. We will see you next week. Have a self-compassionate week. Blessings to you. Thank you.